scripture reading this morning will be Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 17 through 19. Since the children are made of flesh and blood, it's logical that the Savior took on flesh and blood in order to rescue them by his death. That's why he had to enter into every detail of human life. Then, when he came before God as high priest to get rid of the people's sins, he would have already experienced it all himself, all the pain, all the testing, and would be able to help where help was needed. Good morning, church. <laughs> Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Before we get started, let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we've had this morning to come together and to, um, to ask you, draw us deeper. Please, don't leave us where we are. Uh, mold us, shape us, challenge us, but draw us deeper, Lord, into you. And God, we realize we're not the only faith family uh, meeting today to sing, to pray, to offer our, our hearts to you in service, to hear a word preached from your word. We lift up the Conquest Christian Church also, and, um, and God, I lift up the event, the gathering. Um, thank you for the opportunity to be able to host that, and we're asking that you bring people here that day who, um, who want to spend some time lifting up our hearts to you, calling upon you to rescue our nation, to empower our nation, beginning with us. And we ask that humbly in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Oh, my goodness. When I was just five years old, Mission Impossible made its debut on Saturday nights, and I promise you, Saturday nights at the Sportsman's were never the same. <laughs> I'm not sure we ever missed an episode. And I couldn't wait for those beatnik bongos and that breathy flute. And I couldn't wait for, for Jim Phelps to find that tape recorder that was in some strange place with its accompanying photos of his next Mission impossible. <laughs> and then these words would follow. Good afternoon, Mr. Phelps. And a voice from Division 7 would explain the great dilemma or the great danger that had arisen somewhere in the country or maybe across the globe that needed the international mission force and all of its incredible prowess and all of its courage that it could bring. And then the tape would say, Your mission, Jim. Should you choose to accept it? And then the assignment would come. That was filled with certain danger and potential death. And then Jim would be reminded, <laughs> as always, should you or any of your IMF team be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. Much love. No, it doesn't say that part. <laughs> And then came the ending that we loved each week. This tape will self-destruct in five seconds. <laughs> Good luck, Jim. <laughs> and then smoke would rise from the tape and the instructions would be destroyed. That's living, <laughs> isn't it? They don't make TV like that anymore. Well, they're trying. Tom Cruise has taken up the role of Ethan Hunt in the latest Mission Impossible movies. And for those of us... Uh, adventure junkies, we love them. And that's exciting to watch when it's just acting. And it's exciting to watch when it's just make-believe. But I promise you, when that's real life, 
with real people receiving those kind of assignments and receiving those kind of orders where certain danger and potential threat to life are very real threats, I promise you it gets real serious. Because real sons and real daughters and real husbands and real wives and real mothers and real daddies could be badly wounded if not killed. And that's why I doubt when, <laughs> on a certain windy day in April, and Jesus decides to have a little talk with his 11, that I doubt the air was filled with giddy intensity when he shared these particular words with them. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely... I want you to know this. I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. Now, when those words are spoken, even though they were spoken by a resurrected Jesus, even though they were spoken by someone who had just come back, let me just say this so simply, from the dead, and had been walking and talking and eating with these guys for 40 days, did you notice in the text it said not all of them were all in? Some of them still doubted. <laughs> and as I thought about that this week, I thought, who in the world could blame them? They saw Jesus die, crucified dead. No matter how many scriptures he pointed them to through the Psalms or through Isaiah to explain why, Still being seen with this guy in public was filled with certain danger and possibly death. And there were those who had their doubts about it, and I understand why. But Jesus goes ahead and he shares a mission with them that he hope, hopes that they will take up and run with when he's gone. And that is where most of you who have your Bibles open to it, and even those of you who don't, Know this, that's where the story ends. With that mission. And we don't have a clue what happened. <laughs> yes, we do. We're here. We know that just like Jim Phelps, those 11 said, yes, we're in. Even though some of them still doubted, yes, we're in. Without the beat neck bongos. Without the cool flute, banana, banana, banana. But I have to believe, as we've read from one of the other gospel writers, that the moment that he drops that mission on him and he exits by being taken up into the clouds, <laughs> I'm not sure we needed cool music and bongos. Because the air was electric. Now, I wish... Some way, somehow, I could replicate that moment in Jesus' life with the disciples here, but, but even the beatnik bondos and even the, the, the flutes and, and, and the cool pictures and the 
bringing back of a time in our lives where, yes, we wanted to be involved in mission. I wish I could replicate that, but there's no way that I can. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm not sure you need that either. But I do know this. We, as a family, need to be reminded that their mission is our mission. We do. I do. And that this mission is going to be filled with possible danger and quite possibly death. (laughs) Somebody says, yeah, right. This is church. (laughs) Maybe danger of total boredom. Maybe danger of not getting to see my favorite team play if the preacher doesn't hush up soon enough. Maybe death by sermon. But come on, potential danger. This is church. Potential death. This is church. And I've been waiting all week to say, if that's what you know of church, and if that's what you know of Jesus, maybe you've got the wrong church. Maybe you've got the wrong Jesus. I'm curious, is the fellowship that you have with that Jesus, is the fellowship you have with his church, is it putting you in any type of danger? Is it putting you close to any kind of a death at all? Then I'm going to say it again. Maybe it's not the Jesus of this book that we're following. Maybe we're not the church that he's called us to be. And you know what? If you're here this morning and you're not a Jesus follower and and boring and meaningless church is all you've ever really known about or seen, I don't blame you for not getting in. But that's not the mission Jesus handed his disciples. It's not. Because that mission, I promise you, based on his words, is wrought with danger and possibly threatening to your life. I experienced that firsthand not too long ago in Ghana when we flew over there. On my way to church, we were headed to Kamasi. We're about a third of the way there when we went through a checkpoint that we'd gone through several different times on our trip there. And this time, they didn't let us through. Two guys with their machine gun bullets and their AK-47 said, we need for you to step out of the car, please, and follow us. Okay. Okay. When anybody has an AK-47 and bullets to go with it, usually that's what I say. Okay. And we did. Shut the car off, walked around the corner to this small, obscure hut, and they started to question us. Now, Jeff and I didn't say anything. We just prayed a lot. Jerry, however, was very respectful but very forceful. And in less than 15 minutes, we were back in the church van and on our way to church. I have not been that afraid in a while. Now, not all of our walk in Christ is going to be life-threatening. Not all of our following Jesus is going to be thrilling and adventuresome. I know that. But listen to me clearly, church. If some of it's not... I'm not sure you're following the Jesus of this word. I'm not sure that you're a part of his church. If there's not at least a threat of failing with another person that you're trying to love on this mission that we've been given, if there's not a threat of death coming to you, 
something that dies, something that's got to be put to death because of your allegiance to this Christ, you need to make sure you're following the Jesus of God's Scripture. And if you surround yourself with enough people who are on one of his missions, I promise you being associated with that church is going to be anything but meaningless and boring. I promise you. If not, stay with me. You may not have known this, but when I came to this church in 2012 to interview with this incredible family, this mission invitation was actually a part of two scriptures that were a part of the mission this church was endeavoring to accomplish. In the interview process, I asked the church if they had a mission statement, and um, I was told that they did. It took a few days to find it, but here's how it read. It is the mission of the Kerrville Church of Christ to live out the two greatest commandments, Matthew 22 through 37 and 40, and to actively discharge the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, by accepting the sovereignty of God in all aspects of our lives, by expressing the compassion of Jesus toward our neighbors through visible and meaningful acts of love. When Mickey found that, I came to my second interview with the church, and I said, um, Thank you for sending me the mission statement. I just have one question. If I rounded up 10 people at random from the church, would they be able to quote even a portion of that? And humbly they said, no, probably not. And they said they sure would like to get to a place where it was true, though. And so we went to work. Over the next couple of months... I met with the staff and with the elders, and together we worked on coming up with what we hoped was a biblical, repeatable, and hopefully inspirational version of that mission statement. Here's what we came up with. Leading ordinary people into an extraordinary relationship with Jesus by loving God and loving our neighbor and living life to the full. That's a little easier to remember, isn't it? Hopefully, it's absolutely biblical, and you'll be the judge of that, and hopefully it's also inspirational. But I hope within a year, maybe two years, if anyone was to find one of us from the KCC Church of Christ and said, what's your church on mission to do? We're leading ordinary people into an extraordinary relationship with Jesus, and we're doing that by loving our God and loving our neighbor, and buddy, we are living life to the full. That's what we're doing. That's the mission that our elders are calling us to as a family here at KCC. Now, if you choose to accept it, don't you love those words? If you choose to accept this mission. Under the leadership of Christ, if you choose to accept this mission under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, I assure you it will be anything but meaningless and boring. If you know what's at stake. Now, to know what's at stake, you might have to, to get online and go to lesson number one in this series, because before we could talk about what the mission was going to be, we had to talk about why we even have one. And so we talked about this thing over here. We talked about this system over here by which the world and even many in the church think they're going to get into God's heaven, believing that some way, somehow, their good outweighs their bad. And really, no matter what they sing, no matter what they say, that's what's going to get them into heaven. 
And then we took a hard look at some words from Christ, and God reminded us the cross system is the only system that gets you into heaven. That unless you put your faith in Jesus Christ who hung on one of these and trust that he got done what you could never get done, you will not see God. Not you, not your mother, not your daddy, not your friends, but if you put your faith in what he did, he does something amazing with that. He calls you his own. He welcomes you to be a part of his life. And when you say, I trust that, we take you back into a place like this, and we put you to death as quick as we can, so you can begin new life as quick as you can. But the reason why we do any of that is because that system doesn't work. And you know what? Most of your friends and family are believing that it does, and they're going to get to the end of their life, and you know what? They lose. Is anybody going to share that with them? Is anybody going to be involved in any kind of a mission with their day-to-day life that gets that news out to them? And Jesus is hoping that this group of disciples will take his mission and do that. That we really will lead ordinary people into an extraordinary relationship with him because he's the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody gets to the Father except through him. There's a lot at stake. Don't have a lot of time to go back into that. But don't take my word for it, please. I don't invite you and I don't encourage you much to go back and listen to many of the lessons that are preached here, but I'm inviting you to listen to that one. And it mattered so much (laughs) that we get this mission. God himself came down to deliver it. That still rocks my world. And he personally sacrificed for it. And then he personally trained others to go and do it. And if you're here today because of anything to do with Jesus, it's because these 11 knee-knocking guys chose to accept that mission to lead ordinary people into an extraordinary relationship with Jesus. That was their mission to reproduce in others what Jesus had produced in them. (laughs) You know what he did? He came to this earth and intentionally poured his life for three years into some men. And he loved them. And he cared for them. And he studied with them. And he taught them. God and Abad in their very presence And then after dying on a cross and being resurrected, he commissions them to do the same thing he did for them. A mission that is possible. And did y'all notice that I didn't even touch that? Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. It's good to have help from above. It's mission possible to lead ordinary people into an extraordinary relationship with Jesus. And you know what? If I'd been behind a rock somewhere or taken a nap on that hill the day that Jesus proposed this mission, my first response to these guys would be, are you kidding me? I buy fish from one of them. I get my taxes done by one of them. They're not scholars. They're not political leaders. They're not even professional religious people. They're just so ordinary. And Jesus' response would have been, yes, they are. Because you see, that's our market. Look at all of them. They're all so ordinary. Besides, the extraordinary are just too busy being fabulous. Uh-huh. 
the extraordinary don't have time for me. And Jesus' response would have been, that's why I have some guys on mission. And we're going after the ordinary folks. Very few of us had a butler draw our baths this morning, I'm suspecting. Very few of us had a maid lay out our clothes for us. Very few of us had eggs that were Benedict. If we had orange juice, maybe some of you had it fresh squeezed, but not probably. Most of us climbed out of our common beds, put on our common shoes, or wearing common clothes, drove up in our common cars, and sometimes they came, we did, we came to a common church to do common church things. Jesus says unacceptable. Not the clothes part, not the bed part, not the shoes part. No, 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 that's just ordinary stuff. But the common church part, that's not acceptable. But the ordinary people part, that is. And besides, most of the people I know are so ordinary. Sorry, you got an ordinary preacher. He's not the celebrity guy who people are calling to, hey, come be on their TV show. And I don't write books. I, I'm just an ordinary preacher in an ordinary town preaching to ordinary people. And Jesus says, that's exactly where I want you. Our young people struggle with ordinary fears. Is anybody ever going to ask me out on a date? <laughs> Am I ever going to get hired by someone? Do I have what it takes to graduate, to get a car, to find a job, and am I ever going to get over this acne? Just ordinary stuff. Are not so young, are still pretty ordinary. Am I going to have enough this month to make ends meet? I wonder if I'll ever have more in savings than I do on credit card debt. I wonder how we're going to put our kids through college. I wonder if our marriage is going to hold out, and I wonder how our kids are going to turn out. And then there's those who are older on the outside, but they're still young on the inside. They're still fairly ordinary, too. They wonder if their retirement's going to hold out. And they wonder if the ones that they brought into the world will help them leave the world or if they'll be abandoned. And they worry if after all it's said and done because it looks like done's pretty close. Is there really, thing in the, is there really anything to this heaven thing? Or am I done? Yes, we have flashes of brilliance. <laughs> but he sent us to reach out to those who are ordinary. And that's why his coming was so ordinary. Now, please don't rush by that. Because we were so ordinary, <laughs> that's why his coming had to be. And maybe arguably even less than ordinary. Birth from a home that was a stable that wasn't even his home. Placed in the hands of a simple carpenter and wife, raised in a town that defined hole in the wall. Except for a few comments that he makes when he's at church when he's 12 years old, over 90% of his life we don't know anything about. And you know what? No one in the community did other than what he did for his dad. This guy was not extraordinary by anybody's stretch of the imagination. Great with an ox yoke, yes, nice with a chair, polite as the day is long. But this Jesus character, this son of Joseph and Mary... He wasn't sovereign and supreme. If anything, he was a little suspect because everybody remembers that's, um, <laughs> that's Mary's boy. Remember? He had a common name, worked with common hands, 
And just as the prophet Isaiah foretold hundreds of years earlier, the guy had common looks. But before he wrapped himself in human skin, the Bible says, he was God in every way. And if you were anywhere near his presence, you would be on your face. But he refused to stay there because we were in trouble, big-time trouble. The Scripture says we were enemies of God trouble. And so this very nature God-man did not hold on to equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And you know what this ordinary rabbi said to church leaders who expected him to hang out with extraordinary people? Excuse me, guys, but I didn't come for the well. I came for the sick. Now, we didn't want to include that into the mission statement because we didn't feel like it would be, uh, it fits too well. But you know what, really? It goes beyond ordinary. Here's what Jesus says about us. We're sick. And that's who he came for. He didn't come for the folks who were too busy being fabulous. He didn't come for the folks who think that they're extraordinary. No, he came for humble people who know they're sick and are willing to fess up about it. He came for those whose bodies are sick, yes, but he came for those whose finances are sick and whose marriages are sick and whose integrity is sick and habits and views of other human beings are sick. And he poured his life out at a cross, yes, but before he did, listen to me, for three years... He poured his life into, and he taught, and he lived with, and he exampled, and he mystified at times this godness that was in him. And then he challenged his disciples as he was about to leave. Would you go do the same with some others? He trained them to a point that he could say, now you do the same with others. And then he was gone. Can I ask you the question that he asked them? Will you go? Will you make it your mission to lead ordinary people into an extraordinary relationship with Jesus? (laughs) I don't know about this leading part, though, Jim. I get the ordinary. But leading anybody? I don't think so. I'm just doing good to be a follower. Don't raise your hand in here, but you're thinking that, aren't you? (laughs) We need to change that leading thing to just maybe uh, trying, hoping, praying. But leading? No, that's not what this eldership's going to settle for. Did you hear me? He called these ordinary men to an extraordinary task. And that was not just to pray for, not just to hope for, not just to talk about, but to lead people into an extraordinary relationship with Jesus. And he's called us to the same mission. And you know what? This might help a little bit. If you don't feel like you can lead, can you serve? 
Because that's what Jesus said is essential to being a leader. You remember this. Anyone who would be significant to anybody must become insignificant, the servant of everybody. That's the JSV, Jimmy Sportsman version. Okay? He who would be first needs to be last. He who would be the greatest needs to be the least. But really, you know what that means. Anyone who would be significant to anybody must become insignificant, the servant of everybody. You go, well, I can do that. Well, come on in and help us lead some people, ordinary people, into an extraordinary relationship with Jesus, all right? Besides, John Maxwell says leadership is just influence. And you keep boiling it down and boiling it down to what leadership is, that's really what it is. It's just influence. And if you don't think that Jesus called you to influence people, then remember what the scripture says here, you are the salt of the earth. You, you are the light of the world. Now, if a salt loses its saltiness, then what good is that? And you don't take this light and stick it under a bushel. No, you put it, you did it a while ago. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Really? Will you do that? Then that's leading. I said it last week and I'll keep saying it all throughout this series. Either you are leading people closer to Christ by what you say and how you behave or you're leading them further away every single moment of every single day of your life. You matter that much. A human life matters that much. And we're going to talk about that more in the upcoming weeks. But we don't believe that. Jesus did. And he's doing his best to get you to believe it through imperfect, human, ordinary vessels like me and your eldership. The influence of a sister who makes sure the quiet bags are ready, that's leadership. The influence of a brother who sees that the building is locked and the yard is mowed, that's leadership. The snack for children's church being prepared so that our kids can enjoy their time in there while we try to enjoy our time in here, that's leadership. The person who is there at the doors to meet a first-time stranger who's visiting our campus and says, now which door is the front one? Where's the bathroom? Where's the auditorium? Where's class? That person who, is, who helps them find that place, that's, that's leadership. The person who's coaching a soccer team and gathers those boys together to pray before they, they kick their first ball or after they've lost and they pray then, that's leadership. It's a school administrator who um, calls the kid to the office and says, we got some things to talk about. And oh, by the way, you need to know this, buddy. You're on my prayer list. That's leadership. Influence, yes, but that's what leadership is. It's influence. And it saves lives when it is offered in gratefulness to God and when it's offered in service to people. Hopeful that maybe, some way, somehow, an opportunity is going to arise where I can have a chance to hear their full story and then they can hear maybe, if they're interested, my story. And hear how God's graced it into the thing it is. Now, should you choose to accept that mission? I can promise you this. Certain danger and possibly even threat of your life is coming. The danger of having to let go of a lifelong habit. The danger of letting a daughter go to a place to serve Jesus that you can't get to in 24 hours. The danger of losing a friendship that doesn't have room for 
you and your Jesus values? And maybe not just a danger of hurt or loss, but literally loss of life. Your job, life. Your happiness, life. And possibly even the death of your body. If the numbers are on the money this week as they have been for the other weeks of this year, probably around 48 people minimally around the globe lost their life because they're serving Jesus Christ today. Today. Certain danger, absolutely. Possibility of loss of life, absolutely. However, if you choose to accept this mission, church, there's nothing like the reward. Life for everybody else that your life comes in contact with and life forever. I'm in. How about you? Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you for giving us this mission. Thank you for believing that our single lives could matter enough that, that it, would, it would matter at all that we accepted it. But Father, we come with, with wobbly knees, maybe just like the apostles. We come, some of us, doubting that maybe even you're real. Maybe even that any of this cross stuff and Jesus stuff is true. But Father, if you brought someone here today who, who does believe and who's not yet made the commitment to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, we pray that you lead that ordinary person into a relationship starting today. And if you've brought some of us followers here today who need to be reminded that we are on mission, your mission, we made a trade with you, our, our sinfulness for your righteousness, and, and our mission, our purpose for our lives for your mission and your purpose for your life. God, please, fill us with that Holy Spirit. Remind us again of the importance of what you've called us to. And then please, by all means, you promised you'd never abandon us. You would walk with us through this mission till the end of the age. Please let us feel your presence. We ask us in Jesus' name.